podcast this week, we open the book of Boba Fett and we turn to the page marked Fennec Shand by talking to the star of that show, Ming-Na Wen. Plus, by George, it's only the star of Munich, The Edge of War, George Mackay. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that knows what the true tragedy of Macbeth is. None of the actors involved can name the film. Because <laughs> if they, they can't say Macbeth. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, episode 497, folks. <gasps> we are homing in on episode 500, like um, a, home, a homing missile, and it's very, very exciting. But this week, we're 497, and this week, I am joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. Hello. Can we tell people where you've been? Hells bells. I we think, didn't. I, think I, I, I cut it out of last yeah. week's show. Okay. <laughs> Entirely. Yeah. So I wasn't here at the beginning of last week's show because I was on jury duty, uh, from which I've just been released. And you know, if you think being uh, being digested by the sarlacc for a thousand years <laughs> sounds boring, boy, do I have the experience for you to put that really into perspective. Uh, it's so boring. So I object. Boring. <laughs> I wasn't even. Uh, most of my time was not spent in court. Most of my time was spent in a jury room in case people were needed. Furiously in court. texting us on the WhatsApp group about how bored you were. That's pretty much my experience. Yeah. Look, if I found court cases interesting, I would be in court making lots of money. Do you know what I mean? That's true. There's a reason I gave up law. You anyway. all would be. I would be a great barista, by the way. Yes. I would be fantastic. Yes. I'd be yes, sending people to the gallows left, right and centre. Yeah. It'd be extraordinary. Uh, Which anywho, is impressive because they don't have the death penalty in this country, but you'd be sending be, them anyway. Yeah. That's how wow. good I would be. I would mm. like single-handedly bring it back. Like for shoplifting, <laughs> graffiti and things like that. Burn him! Six months in the ISO cubes. Anywho, Helen spent the week courting. James. Hello. Dyer, our great big fucking nerd, is also here. Jimbo, have you been courting this week? I've been courting the expanse. I've watched 61. <laughs> so today, as we go out, this is the day where the final ever episode of The Expanse airs on Prime Video. I have watched the 61 <laughs> preceding episodes since Christmas Eve, which is an awful lot of The Expanse. And I'm going to sit and I will watch the final episode, the feature length finale, uh, today with everyone else. And that will be the end you know of my what Expanse happens? journey. Yeah, I've already seen it. But it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. No, no, but, but you know what happens before you had seen the episode? What did, did I have like a vision, like a spice vision? Well, it's based on a book, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Although I've just started the books. I've just started the books. I'm on the first book. Okay. And so I have not read all the books. So I did not know how it was going to end. Um, okay. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty awesome. And thumbs up. Across the expanse of the expanse, is it worth people, you know, at the, at the risk of breaking this into a mini episode of the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast, uh, is it worth people's time if they dedicate themselves to that? Oh, 100%. And the best thing is I've actually put off so many people from listening to the Pilot TV podcast by banging on about the show. And I'm, I'm grateful I'm now able to do it to the Empire listeners as well. Uh, yes, it is one of my all-time favourite shows. I love it more than I can possibly say. It's great. Read the books. Watch the shows. It's amazing. The Expanse. Oh, yay, Belta Loda. <laughs> Anywho, uh, welcome both. Welcome both. Uh, so... Do you think that actors on the set of a Macbeth movie, mm. do you think they get superstitious about the name? Yes. No. I think they call it the Scottish film. <laughs> I wonder. Interesting. Mm. We should get some in here. We should. Not, we should. not now. No, obviously not Can now. anyone call Denzel? Can anyone call Francis Hang on, let me call him. See what's happening. <laughs> 
there's a whole bunch of people in in the uh, Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, which we will be reviewing later in the show, hence my reference. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people in that that I think we could probably just get. We could get now. We could just dial random numbers, obviously, and see right. if they can get to me. But there's Ralph Innocent's in that. Brilliant. Harry Melling's in that. Brendan Gleeson's in that. We're we're bound to be able to just call one of these people up and go, did you say Macbeth on the set of Macbeth? Macbeth! Uh, apart What's from the, the scenes you where- you have to say? When you get it wrong and like tweak your nose from Blackadder. I can't remember. I can never remember it. <laughs> Hot potato, something, something. Something, something, something. something, something. Make amends. Yeah. I can't remember. Absolutely. Good, good stuff. Quality yeah. podcasting right there. Uh, anyway, as I mentioned, this is episode 497. Episode 500 is coming up just around the corner. Hooray! It is our huge extravaganza, an incredible celebration of 10 years, 10 years, 10 years, 10 oh, years of this podcast. And uh, we're very, very excited about it. It's in three weeks. Yep. It's at King's Place in London. It's on February the 5th. It's on Saturday, February 5th. It's an all-day thing in the morning. In the morning. Uh, it's going to be a morning session, which is the big Empire podcast quiz. We've never done one of those before. Helen's going to be captaining one team. James is going to be captaining another team. Uh, there's a good chance that two audience members on the day will be picked to come up on stage and join their teams. So that might be an incentive for you. There's still some tickets available for that if you want to come along to that. It should be a lot of fun. The afternoon session, there's still some tickets available for that as well on kingspace.co.uk. That's going to be an absolute cracker, folks. Absolute cracker we have. It's the very best of the Empire podcast. So uh, we have a brief three-fact structure Live three five structure. Brief. Yes, James. Brief. <laughs> James. Uh, Helen's going to be reading a chapter from her book, Women vs. Hollywood, <laughs> out loud, and then I'll just give her a point. Uh, and uh, we have a live ranking. And next week, we're going to be putting four options up on Twitter, and you guys can choose what that ranking is going to be. It has to be one of the options we give you, obviously. Uh, and we're also going to be doing a live spoiler special. Uh, for a film and people have been asking what that film is going to be and we're hopefully going to be in a position to announce it next week so you can all watch the film in question or if you think the film in question is dreadful ask for your money back but I <laughs> if the film that I think is going to happen and the people that I think are going to talk about the film happen then it's going to be absolutely well worth your time so Good news is that the main show, the 500th episode in the evening, is sold out, or as near as, damn it, it's sold out this week. Then we put a couple of uh, tickets from our allocation back on sale. And so if you are hoping to come along and you want to be in the room for episode 500, it's going to be absolutely off the chain, all day extravaganza. Go to kingsplace.co.uk and there you can find, uh, hopefully, tickets for episode 500 and the other two sessions. People have been asking about streaming. And I did say on the show, whenever we first put tickets on sale, that my priority was to have the room as full as possible and to sell out if we could. And if we did that, then we would look at offering a streaming service because we understand that, you know, obviously there's a pandemic on, but pandemic notwithstanding, many of you live in America, Australia, Europe, all over the place. And, you know, quite frankly, you're lazy and you don't want to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to. You don't, you, know, you don't want to come over. You want to. You want to. You know, watch it from the comfort of your of your, of your homes, and and rightly so. Uh, we're delighted to say that because we have sold out, or again, as near as damn it, we're going to be offering a streaming service that's going to be going on sale next week. 
Uh, so keep them peeled for my Twitter and for the Empire Twitter for the announcement of that. So if you want to watch the show and have a 48 to 72 hour window, I think is what it is, uh, to watch the show afterwards, so you don't have to watch it live, you can watch it afterwards, then you can uh, you can do so by buying a streaming pass. Uh, so kingsplace.co.uk for that. And if you buy tickets for all three sessions, you get a discount. Uh, so yeah. There we go. Shameless plug over. Let's move on to the listener question for this week. Uh, I did have a question for this lined up, and just as we pressed record, we realised we had done it a few weeks ago. Uh, It was a very good question. It was about the best work event in a movie, and it was obviously riffing (laughs) on the fact that, you know, if you've been paying attention to British politics this week, that... Boris Johnson's got himself in a bit of a pickle, the prime minister of this country, and uh, and there was a, a drinks reception slash party at number 10 Downing Street in May of 2020. I'm just giving you some context here. Not getting political in any way, shape or form. No judgments here. Apart from oh, all the judgments. Judgment. Apart from all the so judgments. Judgment. <laughs> whilst everyone else was isolating and social distancing and all that sort of stuff, they weren't. And Boris Johnson was there, and then he claimed in the Houses of Parliament that he thought it was a work event and not a party or a drinks reception. So, Which also uh, would have been illegal, just like FYI. Also, true. also listen, against the rules. Listen, I'm not, I'm not judging. No judgment, apart from all the judgment. Uh, at Mr. Corey sent in a question going, what's the best work event in a movie? And we kind of did that a couple of weeks ago. We kind of did what's the best party in a movie. Um, Christmas party, th- wasn't it? Yeah. Was it a Christmas party? I think it was a Christmas Or was, was it a party parties. in general? Okay. Well, maybe we can do that one next week when it's not topical anymore. But uh, in the end, I panicked and I asked people for uh, questions and we got some questions. At Danny Gabrielle 94 if you could watch only one film for the rest of your life, what would that film be? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's That's really a really good question. Now, film, not series of films. Single film. Single film. So I couldn't have the extended Lord of the Rings as a whole no, thing. No, and the expanse doesn't count, James. <laughs> uh, it would be Aliens for me because that's my favourite film. I mean, the obvious answer would of course be Groundhog Day, but I think you'd go slightly insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, or oh, Edge of Tomorrow, whatever you you know, pick your poison. Uh, uh, yeah, Aliens, always Aliens. Oh my god, <sighs> I don't might, know. It might. Oh, this is. I. I would. I don't know. I would. I would. Like strenuously object to this condition. This seems cruel and unusual to people like us. I, I don't think it's fair that we I, should have to choose. Oh God. That said, oh, <laughs> that it said, might... it's Captain America: The First Avenger. <laughs> no, I mean that's on the short list. But no, it's probably the one that's actually coming to mind. It's going to be a Billy Wilder, and it might be. It's between some like a hot in the apartment. Uh, Sunset Boulevard. It might be the apartment. Just like. Just like no one's ever been better at anything than Jack Lemon is everything in the apartment. So maybe it's the apartment. I don't know. Not Gene Kelly? Gene Kelly's better at dancing <laughs> than most things are at most things. Do you want to go for Jack Lemon or the guy whose face looks like he's sucking a lemon? Do you want, you know, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. You oh know? my God. Did you not see the bearded Gene Kelly pics that people produced during I the saw, week? I watched the oh, cigarette sequence again, come which now. is just upsetting. Okay. Yes. Like no one's, no one is in favour of smoking here, but or blowing smoke in the face of some poor woman you've just kissed is just like yeah. Oh. And I like I don't pr- approve of the smoking bit of that sequence, but I approve of everything else in that sequence. Oh. I'm gonna gonna be honest I, I, with you. I genuinely do not see it at all. Yeah, everyone seems to agree with you. I don't understand why. 
because he's really handsome. <laughs> Last week's controversy, by the way, it was a big controversy on the on the podcast where we were discussing who was the handsomest: uh, Chris Evans of Captain America fame mm. and Gene Kelly. And uh, we invited people to to yell at us on Twitter, and it's been a and decent. They did. It's been yeah, a they decent. Did. And they have they have yelled at us. <laughs> they have yelled at us. Uh, listen, I, I do not want. I I think this has been misconstrued somewhat. Yeah, I am not saying that Gene Kelly is unattractive. Right, he's clearly a handsome man. He is not the star of Minging in the Rain. He's the star of Singing in the Rain, and I think people are thinking that I, I I'm saying that he was born in the ugly tree and and swung around every branch of the way down, and he wasn't that at all. He's a handsome man, but you know, Chris Evans. Look, I I, <laughs> I I do not want to know what that what that noise represented. Please never ever tell me. You made it again. Oh no. Um, <laughs> yes. No. They are definitely like no one is arguing here that they're not both handsome. But okay. I, I did love the person on Twitter who confessed that initially he was baffled by the argument because he thought we were talking about Gene Wilder, <laughs> which I hey. cherish. I cherish hey. that. The best Gene, by the way, and I said it in last week's Hackman. podcast <gasps> is is Hackman. Is oh, I mean, it's he's Hackman. pretty great. He's a pretty great Gene. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, the, yeah. if you could watch only one film for the rest of your life, what would that film be? Helen's gone for the apartment. James has gone for Aliens. We're all painfully on brand here, which is why I'm going to go for <laughs> Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives. <laughs> I don't know. I refuse to answer this question. I'm going to take the fifth. Can we take the fifth in this country, Helen? Uh, we we cannot. Uh, you can choose. Uh, basically, you can refuse to answer a question, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned anything that you've later rely on in court All right. I did know that before this week I'd just like to say that okay uh, I uh, I have to answer don't I I have to answer yeah, honestly I don't know if it would be Evil Dead 2 which is my favourite film of all time I don't know if it would be and there's part of me that obviously wants it to be an MCU film because we're all painfully on brand but I think it might be Shawshank oh, that's really? a good call I mean it's a great film yeah. but I, just, I don't feel like it's a film that I would like want to watch every day yeah, this is the thing. Like, I adore. Like, one of my favorite films of all time is The Princess Bride, as I've said before. One is Cyrano de Bergerac. I am aware they both have flaws, you know. So I don't want to watch them every day and be reminded every day of their flaws and become hypercritical of them because I love them. Every film's got flaws. What are the people walking on otherwise? Thanks. You're. Okay. You make a good point. A very or good point. Or do you? Gravity doesn't. That's true. It does. She does goes to the space station at one bit. point. Yeah, yeah. Some flaws, yeah. a lot of handles. <laughs> yeah. Where is it? Help me find oh, it. Boy. That's what the subtitles say all the way through gravity. Where's the handle? Gravity is good, but actually I'm going to change my answer to the film and gravity could have been life. That's, what <laughs> <laughs> That's the film I, I'm, I'm going to watch life for the rest for of my life. life. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> If you could watch it, because it's not a film every day for the rest of your life. It's just a film that you can, you can so you can only watch this film. So I'd I'd watch it every every year or so. Which so life? I the Eddie the Murphy life or the space horror life? The Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> ah, Jake yes. Gyllenhaal, Rebecca oh, Ferguson yeah, life. Yeah, that one. Mm. Obviously, that's yeah. the film I would watch every not day for Eddie the rest of my life. Eddie and Martin Lawrence doing time no. for something they didn't do. Yeah. No, okay. although, again, equally a good choice. Although it is a little bit, you know, diet Shawshank, isn't it? Anyway, uh Here's another question. At Sarah, the writer, is Moon massively underrated or did I totally miss it? By this, of course, she means Duncan Jones' movie Moon and not the satellite in the sky. It was kind of critically acclaimed. I think it was pretty acclaimed. I think think you just missed it, to be honest. Sorry about that. But yeah. Yeah. Not a huge hit, though. Not a huge hit. 
No, that's true. Pe- people missed Moon, but Moon didn't miss. At Claire Newsom, how did they make Eternal so boring it makes watching paint dry seem an invigorating alternative? How? <laughs> it's a solid dare question. Dare you? It's a solid question. I I mm. really like it. And look, my parents are with you. They were like Eternal Eternals should have been Eternal more like. Yeah. And I'm like I just I had a really nice time watching it. I don't know what to tell you. Uh I I some people have liked it more in a second viewing. Maybe now it's on well, Disney Plus. It's time ben, to give it another. Ben, our own Ben Travis put up a piece on the website this week, an impassioned defence of Eternals, basically saying that it was transformational to him to watch it a second time. Uh, and you don't really know what the film is until the second half. So watching it again with new eyes, seeing the truth, being a, an Eternals truther, um, it all, all falls into place. So I'm I'm quite keen now that it is now on on Disney Plus to watch it again. So I'm going to do that. And I'll let you know if I still hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Old James confirmation bias dire there. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I was just uh, unmoved by it. No, you did that classic thing that you do when you go see a film and you came out and you went, I was all right. And it because you're you, you move, you move far along the dial towards hatred. Yeah, it's Ben's fault. It's Ben's <laughs> fault. I maintain this is Ben's fault. I watch a film which is objectively not great. It's fine. I'm not necessarily using this as an example. Ben will come out and say it's brilliant. And then I'll go from, oh, it was fine too. I fucking hate it. It's the worst film ever made. Because I feel like <laughs> the universe requires balance. You know, it's perfectly balanced as all things should be. Uh, and oh, I need to balance out Ben's ridiculous bouncy optimism so that's <laughs> my role here run from it james arrives all the same fucking hell robo sanj pick 15 actors at random and select a film they should not have done i'll no. go first john c Riley, wreck it ralph too 15 actors <laughs> how long do you think we have no we're trying to keep this segment relatively short mate 15 actors unbelievable <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, Mark Pearson, the chef insider. Should Spider-Man be in the talk for best film at the Oscars this year? No, don't be ridiculous. I love it. It's brilliant, but don't be ridiculous. Look, <laughs> it doesn't need the Oscars. The Oscars don't need it. Well, they maybe do. But I think they the Oscars do it. need it. Yeah, they do need it. But they, they won't go for it. And they've made a, a point of pride of, you know, not going gaga for marvel that's fine everybody's fine just like you know don't worry about each other leave each other alone it's fine whatever you're doing different things no question says dan blackburn use the time to talk about marvel where you mate (laughs) (laughs) way ahead of you i like the fact incidentally that uh obviously scream is out this week but that courtney cox has addressed the fringe issue in Scream yes, 3 publicly. So good. And it all came down to they only, it was a stick on fringe piece. They only had one of them and the person stuck it too far back on her head and aggressively cut it and they didn't have another <laughs> one. So they just had to stick with it. Hence one of movies worst hair pieces. I feel like, I feel like with their resources, they probably could and indeed should have got another fringe, but I, like I a CGI fringe. Been... I don't know, but like, well, it was back in the day, wasn't it? Cause it was it's a short, short, noughties. short fringe. Like it's a micro fringe. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you probably could have done something better with like some clever like combing of her hair, to be perfectly honest, if that was the worry. But, you know, she's right that Gail Weathers always tries to, you know, look, change up her look regularly. So maybe there's a, a, an argument there. But yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> wow. Bloody hell. Uh, and here's the last question this week. Thank you so much for your questions uh, at such short notice as well. Uh, this comes from at David Yang, David Y4NG, what's your favourite Scream movie? One. 
I feel like this is a trick question and somebody's going to try and kill me if I answer it. What's your favorite Scream movie? Exactly. Feels scary. But, but, but one, <laughs> closely followed by two, closely followed by five, and then four and then three. And I think that's the best ranking of them. One, two, five, four, three. That mm. seems the accepted orthodoxy. I, went, right. I didn't think about four a lot, but I went back and watched it and it's aged really well. I watched it this week. It's, it's aged the super really, meta one, really isn't well. it? Yeah, but it's, it works much better than I think it did in 2011. All right. Gems? Gems? Gems. 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 Well, I haven't seen the most recent Scream, so I can't, uh, <gasps> I, can't, I can't rate that as possible. But it, for me, it would definitely be, yeah, one, two, four, three, for sure. Okay. I'm going to go two, one, four, five, three. Two, one? Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Two is good. It is two good. Is it good. is good. Yeah. 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 But it's not as good as one. Maybe we'll get into that uh, on our Scream Spoiler Special, which we are hoping to do over the next couple of weeks. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and thank you so much indeed for your questions. Uh, if you, well, we don't need any more for the next couple of weeks, but uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor Podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you, then you can get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can slide into my DMs as the Chef Insider just did, uh, or you can reply to my panicked shout out every now and again, or just reply to any of my tweets with a question. And if it's good enough, then hopefully I will ear market for future reference all right should we have a guest yeah Why listeners not? to last week's show will know that at the 11th hour as we were recording the show Cyrano moved <laughs> back by several weeks uh, otherwise this week's guests were going to be Peter Dinklage and Joe Wright that film's director uh, luckily I uh, I asked the universe for guests and the universe responded uh, and it responded with Ming-Na Wen who is good response. fantastic, mm. a very good response, uh, fantastic, fantastic uh, actor, who you will know, of course, as the voice of Mulan. She's also Melinda May in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And she is, of course, Fennec Shand, Fennec Shand, the ace space assassin. She puts the ace in space assassin in the book of Boba Fett. And uh, I caught up with her on Zoom just, uh, when was it? Yesterday, in fact. Oh, Christ. I'm doing what really well, aren't I? Who yeah, what I? day is it? Who am I? Who's the president? <laughs> so I caught up with her on Zoom. She's my first interview of the year. Uh, then I did another three in one day yesterday. So I'm back in the I'm back in the groove. It's all good. Uh, she was an absolute delight, Ming-Na Wen. Uh, so here we go. Me talking to Ming-Na Wen. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of the Book of Boba Fett, Fennec Shand herself, Ming-Na Wen. How are you? Wonderful. How are you, Chris? I uh, that that was a good intro. Thank you. It was good, wasn't it? It was yeah. all right. Yeah. Well, I felt yeah, powerful. Yeah. Uh, You've done this for a while, huh? I have. This is not my first rodeo, as they say, but uh, uh, I have to say, this is my first interview of 2022. So. <gasps> It's I'm been honored. Uh, well, the honor is all mine, believe me, but I may have forgotten what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, well, we'll, we'll kick it off. We'll kick okay. It off. All right. So, my understanding is I have to ask things like how were you attracted to the project? So, <laughs> so that's, that's my understanding. If I remember rightly, that's what I should be asking. Well, um, <laughs> there's just, you know, two simple words Star Wars, right? <laughs> uh, when when some when something is offered to you and it's your childhood fantasy come true, mm -hmm. uh, you don't say no, and uh, <laughs> and then you 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 put the uh, 
icing of John Favreau and Dave Filoni on yep. that beautiful dream cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a no brainer, really. It's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. So yeah. was it was this a childhood fantasy? Was Star Wars something that was on? You know, I'm sure you weren't drawing up bucket lists when you were in your twenties, but but was Star Wars was Star Wars on there? Had you been drawing up a bucket list? Yes. Um I I've known since uh, third grade that I wanted to be an actress mm-hmm. and uh, I've always um, had that as a focus there, I, I, you know, maybe interior decorating, but that's only <laughs> a sideline thing. But, um, and I remember as a kid after seeing star Wars, I was so impacted by that story, the magic of it, the hope of it. And, everything you know it became a religion for me really the force as as much as buddhism is uh growing up and i would draw images of like han solo and and um you know before fanfic uh what is it what a fan art became a thing right yeah. and i would actually draw myself as han solo like the female han solo so yeah and i mean i even became like president of my science fiction club in high school it doesn't. It doesn't get any uh, more nerdy than that. I don't think. This is amazing. It seems like you know. Obviously, you know, you have you have an amazing career, and you have you've you. But you could have been nudged in just a little bit to the left, and you might have been doing my job. You might have been. You know, you sound geeky oh. enough to be doing this. And I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but <laughs> you could have been doing. You could have been doing this. Well, I would love to do your job. You know, it's fantastic to just be able to have meaningful conversations with people and and get paid to do it it's it's i think it's the best and you get to know people Mm -hmm. and you don't have to worry about makeup and hair you don't have to worry about um wake early wake up calls or or do you i don't know uh no i i tend to wake early but uh but but what what do you mean i don't have to worry about makeup or hair uh how (laughs) how dare you well listen i know as when i do a voiceover work it's my favorite thing. It's yeah. I just show up, you know, and and get to create without worrying about all this exterior stuff. Yes, uh, I realize now. I, I am looking down. I am I'm very dressed down for this, and I apologize. Uh, I I'm wearing some sort of hoodie. I look like a ruffian. I'm I'm so sorry, but uh, but I will I will do better next time. But uh, but just to, okay. just to just to go back to the thing you said about interior design, uh, people won't be able to see this obviously because this is a podcast. But uh, you have a lovely background going right now. I, I presume you're at your house. Is this something that you have put together yourself? Well, actually, speaking of interior design, what's uh-huh. fascinating is I my house is in the middle of a massive remodel. We've been doing it during COVID. We've been doing it during, you know, the entire uh, 2021, basically. Okay. And uh, right now I have no kitchen, no living room, and a lot of noise and dust. So I am in a beautiful hotel room. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, in that case, no points for the hotel. The, the hotel doesn't get points for interior design. But uh, but how's that been for you? They're, they're coping with the, the, the maelstrom of a remodel. It's it made me realize that interior design is my second love because I am having such a blast, you know, worrying about the details of uh, a doorknob 
you know, and, and <laughs> it's so crazy. Like I'm not as much, I'm not a girly girl where I'm into like purses and, and um, I hope I'm not saying the wrong thing, right? Dresses, whatever, but, or makeup, hair. I love, like, I get so jacked up and juiced up about um, furniture. It's, <laughs> it's weird. It's weird. Well, well, you know what? I think that might be a byproduct of Star Wars fandom because there's something really? about the, there's something about the 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 sort of the particulars of the Star Wars universe where everything seems so handmade and tactile and mm. I, I imagine there's just something you know, I used to grow up with the toys and looking at the toys and you know looking at the looking at the guns and the blasters and the ships and all the and the incredible design right. and the intricacies of it all so yeah, you know and I used to buy all of Ra- uh, Ralph uh, McQuarrie's uh, oh. art book yeah and I still have them, you know, I, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I loved all that. <laughs> so, yeah. so without wishing to delve too much into, into what you're doing with your house, your remodel, is there a little Star Wars design influence there perhaps? Have you, have you, are you recreating the cantina in your living room? <laughs> are you taking any tips from Ralph McQuarrie? Unfortunately, I did, I did marry a wonderful man, but a non-geek. Oh, come so on. he he's given he's given me like an area that I can <laughs> decorate to my heart's content with all my toys and all yeah but no mm-mm. I you know I I actually even found a wonderful um, light fixture that looks like little lightsabers and it's a really cool looking you know it's not very. It, it's not intentional, but it just looks like the coolest little lights. And he's like, no. What? Not doing that one. Yeah. Come on. Come on. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay. You got to pick your battles. Uh, so have you taken anything from the sets of either The Mandalorian or The Book of Boba Fett? If I did, me. I wouldn't be able to say. <laughs> <laughs> I might have snuck a few small items here and there. <laughs> Maybe. There's a speeder bike right outside your house. Uh, it's- <laughs> I know what. I know the-, <laughs> the Star Wars police is going to be like coming coming for me soon. See, this is yeah. wild because I, I interviewed Salma Hayek last year and she was talking about the oh. Marvel police. And I'm beginning to think now that there is actually a thing that Disney might have a police force that, that they've, that they've, they've kind of funded. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I am. I am grateful that I was able to take a few things from um, Marvel's Agents of Shield towards the end when we were wrapping. There were a lot more things that I, I would have loved to have taken, you know. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't. What, what, yeah. what did you take? You could tell me. It's fine. Well, I took uh, a few of my costumes. Okay. You know, because uh, uh, once again, like I feel like the clothes really represent so much of the character. Yeah. And um, and that that was sort of special and important for me. So I did that, and um, I really did want to take this uh, Asgardian staff, but uh, yeah, that didn't happen. Okay. It's, it's, it's difficult to smuggle something like that out of the set, right? <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Oh, it's just uh, wrapping paper. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, it's totally fine. Just look that way, quick, yeah. and then just scarper to your yeah. car. Uh huh. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I presume this uh, is that the same. I mean, let's let's talk Fennec Shand. Let's talk the book of Boba Fett as well. Is that the same 
with this character, the costume, the clothes, is that where you began in a way? Because that incredible mask, that helmet of, of hers is, is fantastic. Oh, I know. I know. I, I, um, I was so excited when I went into costume and saw the first design, which was pretty much spot on as what you see now. I love the orange, you know, having that signature color was beautiful. The, the design was amazing. Um, I think um, Doug Chang, mm-hmm. who, right, so talented. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Mind blown. Um, <laughs> he had some of the preliminary designs of it, you know. The shape of, of the shoulder pads, just sort of very reminiscent of very Asian, you know, silhouettes. Um, and then what further inspired the character of Fennec Shand was my hair. You know, I didn't want just some typical hair. And you have to remember, season one of The Mandalorian, Fennec Shand supposedly dies. Yeah. And I, I only thought I was doing one episode. So I wanted her to be incredibly memorable. I'm like, this is my one shot to fulfill my dream to be in a Star Wars project. I need to make Fennec memorable. Yeah. And they told me that I would be wearing a helmet. So I'm like, okay, what hair? What is the hair? And um, I thought of having it, you know, just pulled back tight because with, you know, May, her hair was always flowing. <clears throat> but then I thought, oh, what if we're able to do some braids where it's like the shape of um, the Fennec the Fox, you know? Mm-hmm. And Maria Sandova, Sandoval was, she's, a, she's a, the biggest Star Wars fan I've ever met. Um, you know, she was so inspired by that. We were sending each other's pictures and, um, I was like, what, and what about like, if there's like a tail, like some sort of ponytail and she's like, oh, I'll do one better. And she came out with this incredible intricate braid. Yeah. So we Mandalorian one, we spent literally an hour and a half in the makeup and hair chair to do that hairdo because she has to like do all these braids. She has to incorporate this, you know, wig with the tail and wrap my hair into it. Yeah. Because, you know, one episode. (laughs) She lives. (laughs) And now you're locked in. We love the look, right? The look was so cool with the helmet. It works with the helmet. And then it's like, she comes back. It's like, oh, damn. (laughs) You have to do that hair every day. Maybe she should and have a I buzz thought, cut. <laughs> I did. I suggested that. <laughs> Didn't go down yeah, well, I'm no. guessing. No. Okay. But we, we did. We did. When, when I knew that the Book of Boba Fett was happening and I was going to be in every episode, we did modify it slightly. So the really keen-eyed fans will notice a slight difference in the Book of Boba Fett braids. It's it's wild that this is this is happening in this way. I mean, whenever we yeah. saw that first episode of of the Mandalorian and it ended the way that it did, we were hoping that Fennec Shand might come back. But at what point did you get the call for that? And when you got the call for that, was it attached to hey, there might be something down the line about Boba Fett as well? Oh gosh, we um, <clears throat> we listen to me like Fennec and I are. <laughs> two people <laughs> you're inextricably linked really, i was I, I woke up really early um <laughs> but uh we 
<laughs> yeah. Waited yeah. a really yeah. long time. It felt like forever. But when that phone call came that, um, you know, John and Dave wanted me to come back and that Fennec lives. And I was like, how? And then they explained it to me. It was, it blew my mind. I mean, come on to not just come back, but to come back and be partnered up with the legendary Boba Fett played by <laughs> the man who was Django Fett. Yeah. Tim Oretta Morrison. I mean, how, how is that happening? <laughs> like, that's all I kept doing. Like, what is happening? What is going on? Is this for real? Am I living in a parallel universe? Yeah. A multiverse? What the heck? It's crazy. I think we all it's are crazy. now. It's, it's it's pretty much established that it, we are now in a multiverse. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's wild as well, because obviously you are a, as the kids would say these days, a Han Solo stan. So does it not give you a little bit of conflict, a little bit of moral conflict that now you are playing a character who is, you know, best friends and partners with the man who captured Han Solo and put him in carbonite? Does that not keep you awake at night a little bit, just a little bit? <laughs> No, not at all. I mean, she's making she's making bank off of this deal, dude. He's a mercenary. No, it's the best. <laughs> Honestly, the things he did to Han Solo is disgraceful. Disgraceful. He should pay for his crimes. Uh, but, <laughs> but we're now three episodes in. Preserved Han Solo. I mean that. Right? Come on. It's it's sort of like the anti aging of all anti aging cream. It is, isn't it? Be, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I should get some of that carbonized stuff. And <laughs> that would be amazing. I need a shitload of it. <laughs> but, but, um, but we're three episodes in to the Book of Boba Fett now. And there, whenever, you know, John, we, we did a, a cover story for Empire Magazine and we spoke to John and, and Dave. And The Godfather was a comparison. And there's a clear comparison point. There's, you know, there's, there's, stuff going on there clearly and fennec so far would you say she's kind of the the tom hagen to his don corleone at the moment and is there a possibility that she might become not the fredo that would be terrible but the but the michael possibly that there you know that this is someone who is you know she's keeping her motives very very close to her chest at the moment but i'm wondering if there might be uh might be a power grab in the in the future. What, 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 what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, John and Dave, we we discussed a lot about because I'm a huge you know fan of The Godfather, mm. um, and that was something that I I I asked them about. You know, what is Fennec? If 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 Boba is the Godfather, is it you know is it Tom? Is it the analytical sort of like advisor and yet kind of keeping him on track and very cool and chill about it or is you know is he any of these other characters and we definitely decided that you know he was more that character um and yet at the same time you have to remember her background right Mm -hmm. and her life's motto which is make the best deal for yourself and survive So it it will be interesting to see, you know, she owes Boba a debt. Mm-hmm. And she does honor that because she, the, you know, bounty hunters, they still have a code. It's just like the Godfather, right? Everybody, there is a code um, that you abide by. There's a sense of loyalty that you um, 
honor, you, you have to honor it. Mm-hmm. So she does honor that and they have mutual respect and they both are benefiting from this partnership. All right. Well, we shall see. We shall see where it goes. But uh, well, all I'm saying is, might someone wake up in a future episode with a space horse's head in their bed? Is that something we might be looking for? <laughs> I know. What, what head could we do? Like a rank horse head, right? If someone puts a rank horse head in your bed. That's that's not ideal, is it? I know. I wonder how how rare a rancor is. Interesting. <laughs> and how, how difficult? Cry- yeah. Nobody wants to go down that road it's uh, that's you know just a bantha yeah. use a bantha instead um but uh, <laughs> what <laughs> Poor actually, remember remember in the second episode when um you know when they shot one of the banthas and yeah. it fell over and then i mean those poor banthas <laughs> you know got in mandalorian gotten eaten up by one of the uh, the space worms it was just like oh yeah that's it's a really so good point yeah. John Favreau must really hate Banthas because there's, <laughs> I mean, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern here and it's clear. Uh, well, Ming-Na, I've got to let you go, but um, I did want to ask very, very quickly about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as you mentioned. I'm sure you've seen a certain movie recently, Spider-Man No Way Home, that yeah. seems to imply that there's nothing's off the table. So what I'm saying is, might the door not be closed entirely on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, of course, I'm going to be very subjective about this, right? Okay. I mean, I uh, I love playing Agent May. You know, I, I had a blast for seven long years to to work with some of the most wonderful people on on the show, and I, I'm still a huge Marvel fan. You know, and Disney has been just some of my most rewarding experiences have, have been working you know, between Mulan, mm-hmm. um, even the Joy Luck Club. I think that was under the Disney umbrella um, to Marvel to now, you know, the Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett. Uh, I, if they call me and say they want me to reprise agent may, I will be there in a heartbeat. There's, you know, I'm, it's, it's family, you know, this is why I, you I kept the costume. Hey, now I like that, Chris. That's a good. That's a good throwback to that. I I like that. Yes, it's like yeah, I'm ready. I fit this still. <laughs> you've got the costume, and you've got Clark, Greg, and Carbonite on your wall as well. He's just he's just, just <laughs> exactly just exactly. waiting to be defrosted at the right point. Uh, well, on that note, uh, that is uh, I'm going to let you go. But that's it for my first interview of the year. You can tell me how did I do? Uh, give me a mark out of ten. How was it? I will give you an A A plus. <laughs> a a plus out of ten. Okay, I'm, I, I'm now. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so early. Now I'm really okay, confused. I give you an eleven. An eleven out of ten. There we go. Boom. Done. Solid stuff. Uh, may not win. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> All right. I'll try to listen a little better too. Absolutely. And, and next time we speak, I will be wearing something that's not just a dowdy hoodie. I, I promise. Awesome. Awesome. All right. <laughs> pleasure talking to you. Her. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Okay, so that was Ming Na Wen, and of course you can see her as Fennec Shand in The Book of Boba Fett, which is on Disney+. Plus. New episode every Wednesday, and a new Empire Podcast spoiler special for spoiler special subscribers every Thursday as well. How exciting! 
Time now for this week's movie news. And we're going to start with some very, very sad news, which broke just after we'd put the podcast up last Friday. Uh, we heard about the news, for example, that Peter Bogdanovich had passed away as we were recording the podcast last week. So we were able to react to it in time. But the following day, that was followed by the, the very, very sad news that the legendary Sidney Poitier passed away at the age of 94. Heck of an innings. Mm. Heck of an innings, as they say. But yeah, what a loss. Sidney Poitier. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, just he was he was for you know many many years essentially one of a, a tiny number of black actors who were allowed to get ahead in Hollywood. It was basically him and maybe Harry Belafonte, but but Sidney Poitier kind of bore the burden of uh, you know being a trailblazer in many ways, and he was the sort of he was the first one to to be able to headline mainstream Hollywood studio movies. He was of course the first black man to win the Best Actor. Oscar um, for Lilies of the Fields. That was in 1964. Um, and and he just, you know, was a leader in the civil rights movement. He was a, a sort of passionate, but incredibly charming, dignified, um, very reserved man. And also, like not for nothing, was a great movie star and a great actor. You know, Lilies of the Field, I think, is it's a good performance. It's not a film that's going to go down in history, but Blackboard Jungle, he's good in The Defiant Ones. He's great in A Raisin mm-hmm. in the Sun, To Sir With Love, uh, made here in the UK, mm-hmm. In the Heat of the Night, where he's absolutely <laughs> just eats up the screen. He's amazing in that. I think I saw him for the first time in Sneakers, yes. which is a film that all of us love to death. Oh, if you haven't so seen good. Sneakers, go watch Sneakers. It's so, so fun. Can, can I just say, how like, so that film is fucking 30 years old this year. Oh, God. We're so old. Um but yeah, he's 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 just amazing. And and in later life, he became he was knighted because he was he was technically his family were from the Bahamas. He was born in Miami because I think I don't know if he, he turned up early or something, but it was slightly unexpected that he was born in the U.S. So he had dual citizenship. Um, but he was he was uh, the Bahamas ambassador to Japan and I think UNESCO at various times in his life. Um, he was a great campaigner, a great philanthropist, and just by all accounts, a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, I think you've covered everything. Pretty much. Uh, 1967 is the year that stands out for me in his career because that was the year that To Serve With Love, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat of the Night were all released, uh, which is interesting. Uh, mm. And I've never seen, I didn't know this, I know that he made a sequel to In the Heat of the Night called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, which of course is reference to the famous line from the, the first movie. Uh, but I didn't know that made, he'd made a, a third yeah. Tibbs movie. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So... I need to try and find that. Yeah, me uh, too. Be a Tibbs completist, uh, very much so. And then, of course, he he became a director, mm. and he directed uh, a, a film I absolutely adore called Stir Crazy, which stars Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. I mean, it's been years since I watched that, admittedly, but I just didn't pick up that he directed it because mm. I don't necessarily always think about the director of comedies, and I I was not aware of that until I saw some of the tributes last week. So well done me for paying attention. Yeah, but yeah, good work. Good work, multifaceted. Fantastic actor, activist, the whole kit and caboodle, 94, one heck of an innings, the late, great Sidney Poitier, who passed away last week. Time now for the rest of movie news. What has been happening? Now the Hollywood's waking up after the, the Christmas and New Year break. Are they getting their casting on? Are they, are they getting new projects underway? What's happening? Well, Michael Bay's got a new project coming up, which I'm sure you've heard about. Yeah. Yeah. In the in a, in a spectacular decision, Michael Bay is going to work on 
The Raid. He's not directing it, I should say. It's Patrick Hughes is directing it. He did the Hitman's Bodyguard. But they are remaking Gareth Evans' The Raid, a film which does not need remaking and also has been remade as Dread. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, the uh, Raid. Uh, came out the same year. They didn't the same year. No, hey, look, I've, I've, I love Dread to bits and I maintain that the that Dread would have done a lot better if it had not had to share the stage with The Raid because they were, you know, thematically quite similar. Dread is so good. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, so there's going to be a Michael Bay produced, Patrick Hughes directed Raid. How do you feel, Chris? Antsy? Upset? Violated? Not bothered. Not bothered. Uh, if, it's, if it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. This is my stance on pretty much all remakes. Of you. <laughs> no, <but laughs> level-headed. How dare you? <laughs> we'll always have The Raid. The Raid is one of the greatest action movies of all time. Patrick Hughes isn't in Gareth Evans' class as an action filmmaker, but he can marshal an action sequence. Um, so fingers crossed. Uh, fingers crossed it'll be good. You know, what the extent of Gareth Evans' involvement is, I don't know. But we'll just see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have The Raid. That's safe. That's in the bank. So, um... Let's just see if they can do something with this. Yeah, and nothing needs to be remade, you know. As we as we said constantly on the podcast, but uh, you know, if you can bring something slightly new to it, great. I think some things do need to be remade. I think mediocre films based on a great idea should be remade. I think yeah. disappointing films should be remade. Those are the ones Hollywood <laughs> needs to be mining. But anyway, which that's is just why. Me. They should be remaking Red Notice for Netflix and not making back-to-back sequels. Yeah, two sequels. Fuck, Yeah. Man. That's a lot of Red Notice. It is a lot of Red Notice. And a lot of people have watched two minutes of that movie, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. registered on the, old, on the old algorithm and deploy sequel has been clicked uh, <laughs> over there at Netflix. So this is, this is very exciting for uh, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson and, of course, Ross Marshall Thurber, and indeed their accountants, because Red Notice 2 and 3 are happening, and there's nothing you could do to stop it. And <laughs> uh, they're going to be shot back to back, and the lead mm. trio are expected to return. And all I can Quite say exciting. is, Ross and Marshall Thurber, of all the movies of yours to make a sequel to, why choose this and not Dodgeball? Yeah, Dodgeball. What I mean, the on. fuck? Although comedy sequels, you know, not always a great idea. but um. I have I have many questions, I guess. Where are these people going to fit this into their schedule? They're all very busy, especially The Rock, even if he does get up at 3 a.m. to train. Um, what I really <laughs> want to see in the sequel, and I, I am very, very convinced of this, I think in the next one we need to see Ryan Reynolds drinking Terramana tequila and <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson drinking aviator gin and by the time the third one comes out i really hope that gal gadot has also launched her own brand of liqueur that they can then also drink so fingers crossed for that everybody Jesus Christ. <laughs> i'd quite like it if they all started singing imagine <laughs> that'd be quite nice that'd be good that'd be good but yeah i, I can't say that i'm excited about red notice 2 and red notice 3 but but who knows there's incredible potential just with the chemistry of those three together. So maybe this one will be fun. So slightly better news than that is that uh, Michael Sarnowski is going to direct the next Quiet Place film, which is going to be an interesting Shh. spin-off in which a very quiet truffle pig tries not to attract <laughs> the attention of aliens. So that's uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, while Nicholas Cage tries to find it, presumably not by calling its name, because obviously that would get him killed. So this is your way of reminding us that he Michael Sarnowski yes, directed right. pick. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, do we know anything about this spinoff? Well, apparently, it's going to be it's going to be uh, yeah. So a spinoff more than a sequel 
to a quiet place part two. So yeah, this is not quiet place three. This is another yeah, this quiet is, place. This is, right. Movie. So not yeah. the same family, just no. same, same situation. Okay. Event, yeah. presumably. Emily Blunt's right. not whispering. How can the same shit happen to the same family <laughs> three times? <laughs> this is the one that Jeff Nichols was going to direct. And then there were the, the old chestnut creative differences. So, you know, they've, they've gone for someone who has, uh, I, I think, an equally singular vision in Michael Sarnowski. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. And maybe we'll get a Quiet Place 3 down the line. Yeah, fingers crossed. I am weirdly excited about, your, I, I may have trouble bringing you with me on this, the um, film about Beanie Babies. <laughs> Um, I'm not kidding. It's based on the book The Great Beanie Bubble, uh, Mass Delusion and the Dark Side of Cute. Uh, it's going to be... Yeah, I'm not... <laughs> it, is, it is a book. There's already a documentary called Beanie Mania um, and there's now a fictionalised film coming starring Zach Galifianakis, uh, Elizabeth Banks, Sarah Snook and Geraldine Viswanathan. So um, it's going to be the story of this mad bubble that happened where people thought that the value of Beanie Babies was only going up. Oh, And people okay. invested vast sums in Beanie Babies, which were small, cuddly toys, and became collector's items for a very brief moment. But it was a bizarre, weird, weird thing. And there was so this incredible financial bubble. It was the Bitcoin of its day, is what you're saying? It was the Bitcoin of its day. This is the thing. And I'm like, none of the people who need to learn that are going to watch this film, but I really want them to. Because this is the monkeys in hats of its day. Um, and and honestly, it's it's going to be fascinating. If they do this well, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. And that's a really exciting cast. That's a, a really interesting mix of people. So... Um, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to see it. That's wild. Yeah, seriously, okay. there, there were literally magazines being published monthly about Beanie Babies. Beanie Baby monthly, tracking their values and like basically saying that they're only going up. It's all all gravy. You can invest a thousand dollars in Beanie Babies right now and be like millionaire by the end of the week. Not quite, but not far off. Fortunes were made and lost on Beanie Babies. That's not could be wow. amazing. I did not know that. I seem to recall there was an episode of Ali McBeal, which revolved around a divorce, and the divorcing yes. couple's issue was the collection of Beanie Babies and who got to keep it. There was a real-life case that that's based on, where they were literally on the floor of the court arguing about who got which Beanie Babies. <laughs> it, that's a real thing. It's, it's, it was a bizarre, mad moment, and it's, it's all happening. Wow. Good news, Wes Anderson's making his film again. <laughs> but if that film is as good as it was when he made The French Dispatch, then yeah. I am very, very happy for that. He yeah. is making an adaptation of uh, Roald Dahl's The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, and it is mm. for Netflix. And it's going to star Benedict Cumberbatch and Dev Patel. And it's going to be about a wealthy man who likes gambling. Um, I'm sure there's more to it than that. I'm sure there's more of a sort of <laughs> dal dally twist. Card counter Henry Sugar, and he had like amazing run. I did read it back in the day. It's a good story. Mm. Um, I think he was a card counter or similar. I mean, it's not that difficult. There's 52 of them. Uh, I could probably. <laughs> okay, I mean, I feel like even recent films have shown us that there's more to it than that. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited about this. Also, I was playing a game with friends this week, and this film really helps with that game. And the game is to name as many actors as possible who are in the Wes Anderson verse and oh. the MCU. And this Ooh. film increases that number by two or three. Well, this is a fun game. But yes. as you know, Helen, I don't like to discuss Marvel movies on the Empire I know podcast. you don't. I know you don't. Jeff, you're right. Correct. And, and I think that would be like a pointless <laughs> answer if you were on pointless and you had to do this. Oh. So I think that's a really good one to start with. 
All my answers are pointless. Tilda Swinton. <laughs> Correct. Are we really playing this game? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> oh, yeah, we are. Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. No Googling. No Googling. You're I'm fucking Googling. Googling. He's Googling. He is, I, can he's Googling. I can see him. I can see him. I can see him Googling. He's fucking he Googling. Googling. Yeah, short films, by the way, are allowed, if that helps. Short films are allowed? Yeah. As in Marvel shorts or short films, just generally short films? Couldn't say. Willem Dafoe. Yep. Okay, one more. I can, I, I can get one more. You can. You can. I believe in you. Uh... Francis McDormand, but only because I'm pretty sure the bucket was in the tunnels. <laughs> uh, all right. Schwartzman's not in any of the... Okay, I'm going to go for... Oh, Bottle Rocket. I can't remember who's in Bottle Rocket. All right, Rushmore. Not Schwartzman. Not Bill Murray. Not Olivia Williams. All right, we're moving on. We're moving on to the Royal Tenenbaums. Not Hackman. Not Angelica Houston. Gwyneth Paltrow. Yay. Flash. Did you mention there Flash? You Have you mentioned Flash? Tony Revolori. Tony Revolori. Yeah, Tony Revolori. Yeah. Also, Boom. I mentioned short films because, of course, you all remember the short Wes Anderson film Hotel Chevalier, which Nobody stars remembers that. Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman. There's another one. Anyway, there's a bunch more, but um, you can have fun shouting at the computer at home. What a Ever fun Norton. game. Why don't you play it at home, folks? This is such a fun game. Uh, a fun game you can play at home is, uh, as well, is shouting at Disney uh, for <laughs> <laughs> for taking Pixar's Turning Red out yeah. of its theatrical release slot. That's right. And I'm not going to say the word consigning, but you know, but but or indeed relegating. But they have they have taken Turning Red, which is the new Pixar movie about a young girl who, when she becomes dressed, turns into a giant red panda, and it is now going to get its release exclusively on Disney Plus in countries that have Disney Plus. If you don't have Disney Plus, then it's going to be a theatrical release for you. I don't know how many countries that is, but, you know, enough, I guess. This is, this is the third Pixar in a row, isn't it? Precisely, mm. the third Pixar in a row. So they did this with, with Soul, which was their big Christmas Day push last year, or you know the year before, 2020. Mm. And then they did it with Luca uh, as well. Uh, yeah. And of course, they haven't been doing this with Disney animation yeah. movies. No. And so some people are going, hey, what gives? So what gives? Yeah, I mean, the, the theory uh, seems to be that they're actually trying to big up the importance and the artistic merit of Disney Plus with this move. But I think it's a real shame. It's also, by the way, I think Pixar's first feature directed by a woman, Domi Shi. Um, and mm. therefore, it's particularly galling that that would um, not get a theatrical release. I mean, the non-conspiracy-minded version of this is they're trying to up the prestige and importance of Disney+, Plus, but I don't mm. think a theatrical release would particularly take away from that. And I do think it's a shame that we're not getting this on the big screen, yeah. apart from anything else, because if it's a film about scale and somebody suddenly becoming really giant, mm -hmm. you know, it's really good to see that on the big screen. It's just great to see these things on the big screen. I, yeah. I saw Soul on the big screen. You know, I, I, not everything has to be about on the big screen. You know, we've we bonded with the films that that defined us as as people growing up. Mostly, I would say we saw them on TV. That's where I, that's where Jimbo saw Aliens for the first time. He saw Aliens on the TV. You would have seen The Apartment on TV for the first time. I saw Shawshank on my little shitty portable for the first time. So those three films, the films we are now <laughs> we now have to watch <laughs> for the rest of our lives, we saw them all on TV. So 
I don't necessarily always go for it has to be big screen, has to be big screen. But what this means, what this, it just seems to be sending out a message, which is obviously they're using the prestige of the Pixar name to try and drive subscriptions to Disney+. And that's fine, okay, from a business standpoint, from a business point of view, that is, that's fine. It's, it's their product, they can do with it what they want. But it slightly diminishes the impact and ultimately it diminishes the importance of Pixar if you can't have those experiences in a theatre with with an audience, I would say. So hopefully this is going to be the last time they do this. I also think there may be an element of they are currently mostly putting franchise movies on the big screen, and it is the original movies that are going to Disney+. Plus. It's anything that even slightly smacks of box office risk. And if Disney isn't willing to take box office risks, that is a bit of a problem going mm-hmm. forward because Disney, of all studios, needs to get a grip and, you know, take a risk now and again. Now, I realise there's this pandemic still going on and that's playing a role here, I think. But at the same time, I, I do think that, you know, it, it shouldn't just be franchises and sequels and nailed on money spinners that get to go on the big screen. We talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about how Spider-Man No Way Home's incredible success at the box office. It's now made 1.5 billion worldwide uh, and counting (laughs) and counting and counting. That success, weirdly enough, doesn't seem to have emboldened studios. It almost seems to have done the opposite, which is now, you know, rather than going, okay, clearly there's an appetite here for movies of a certain type, of a certain size, Let's keep them, let's stay the course and keep them in cinemas. They seem to be going, this is an outlier and this is a one-off and it's not going to happen again until, I don't know what the next big one is, probably Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It's not going to happen again until that. Although I'm very interested to see how Scream does this weekend because mm. Scream is, you know, it's not going to make 1.5 billion anywhere close, but it might make a decent amount for a horror film and that might get confidence back up again. But, you know, Yes, I know there's a pandemic, but also there's a little bit of of the, if you build it, they will come mm-hmm. credo here, surely. Give people the choice to go see Turning Red in cinemas. It might surprise you what it does at the box office. But Amen. hey-ho, the bean counters have spoken. And there they we go. Have. Turning Red on Disney+. Plus, But uh, talk of Spider-Man No Way Home's incredible box office leads me to the biggest flex I've seen in some time, which is that the John Watts has used that, that power and the cachet that he has got from making one of the biggest movies of all time and immediately parlayed it into reviving the Final Destination franchise, hmm. which is, <laughs> is not what I saw coming. Uh, and so he is apparently behind... What will be Final Destination Six? Now, apparently, he's come up with a with a cracking idea for it. He's not going to direct it. His next film as a director is a thriller with George Clooney and Brad Pitt, and then presumably either Spidey Four or Fantastic Four, a four of some kind. Uh, but he's going to do Final Destination Six, which you know, listen, I love that franchise. I think it's mm. got a lot of great potential, and uh, quite frankly, we should have had a dozen of those things by now. So, yeah. Yeah, especially in a week we're talking about Scream, you know, to have the other big self-aware mega franchise in horror coming back would be would be cool. Mm-hmm. I still remember that bus death. I mean, my God. Oh, I mean, it's it doesn't have a candle to Mean Girls bus incident, but you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, Mean Girls came after, right? So I feel like it, you know, 
kind of inspired that. <laughs> and also, I'm still haunted by which which of the like inciting incidents sticks in your head. For me, it's the um, the logs on the freeway. That one really freaks me out for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, that's proper. Final Destination mm. 2. Yeah. Yeah. The best of the franchise. Like Scream 1, in which number two okay. is the best in the franchise. Uh, uh, and and yes, my Final Destination ranking uh, is uh, <laughs> 2, 1, 3. No. Yes. 2, 1, 3, 5, 4. I, I'd have to watch them again. Which one's yeah. the Final Destination? The Final Destination is actually Final Destination 4. That's the one, the NASCAR track. So you have... Final Destination, uh, which is the one on the plane. Then you have Final Destination 2, which is the one on the freeway with some mm-hmm. incredible kills uh, and a lot of fun. Uh, Final Destination 3 is the one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and that's the one on the roller coaster. Final roller Destination coaster, yeah. 4 is the one on the NASCAR track. And number Ooh, 5 yeah. is the one with the, the bridge collapse. Ooh, that was gnarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty gnarly. Uh, good stuff. So, mm. yes. All right. John Watts immediately going, yes, I can do anything I want, Final Destination. <laughs> Are you sure about that, John? You can do any Final Destination or get the fuck out. <laughs> Damn straight. Just a couple of last things in news. The Golden Globes were held at the weekend, and it is time for us to give them customarily, as you know in this podcast, the attention that they deserve. Okay, should we move on? <laughs> <laughs> Just just on the awards race, the SAG nominations came out, many of them very good. Good news for the great Andrew Garfield, who's having quite a year. Olivia Colman is up for it. Um, Kate Blanchett is in there. Will Smith is in there for King Richard, which is really good. Uh, Belfast gets a nod for um, Ensemble, which I'm very pleased about. It's up there with uh, Coda, Don't Look Up, House of Gucci and King Richard. What's weird is a couple of uh, omissions, most notably... Kristen Stewart isn't in there for Spencer, so the idea that she is a frontrunner for the Oscar seems to be fading as award season continues. And really egregiously, Jared Leto is in there for House of Gucci. Yes! Once yes! again, sometimes award shows award the most acting and not the best <laughs> acting, but there you go. I'm Jared Leto. absolutely all over that. Are oh, you? Yes! Jared Leto should win everything. What a performance. Okay. What well, an accent. Okie dokie. Okie dokie. <laughs> He's a Jared. He's a going to win. <laughs> so those are for it by the actors, right? And so actors, are, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. it's game recognizing game. Actors looking at Jared Leto going, I wish I had to fuck, I could get away with that. I wish I could. Get, how has he got away with that? What's how? There's got to be, it's got to be a joke. It's like, guys, are you voting for Jared Leto? I was going to go vote, vote for Jared Leto, just like for lols. <laughs> do you want to do it? Should we do it? Let's do it. He's not going to win, right? He's not. Nah, nah, nah he's not going to win. Of course not. not no, it's just win. us. It's just us, yeah. man. We're just having a laugh. It's just fun. Lol. It's just yeah, yeah. Oh God, he's won. Oh, oh no, God. Jesus! What have we done? And he'll win again next year for Morbius. Oh, <laughs> so exciting! <laughs> uh, is that it for movie news? I think so. If we've we've exhausted movie news, we have wrung the movie news sponge dry of movie news, and uh, so now it is time for this week's second guest. I know. I asked the universe for for guests and they delivered not just Ming-Na Wen, but also George Mackay, who has been on the podcast a couple of times, most recently, of course, for 1917, back in 2019. Uh, Confusing. Years ago, yes. Very confusing. I think for Sunshine and Leith. I think he was on the podcast for Sunshine and Leith. Always have fun talking to George Mackay. He is the star of a film that is out in some cinemas right now, but will be out on Netflix Next week, it is Munich, The Edge of War. 
It is based on the best-selling novel by Robert Harris, the author of Fatherland. Uh, and like that, it is concerned with World War II. But in this case, what actually happened in World War II? And it is the tale of how Neville Chamberlain, who was the Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time whenever Hitler was run around like the poison pill that he was, the fucking dickhead. Uh, it's a controversial statement. I realise it's a controversial statement to make on a podcast, but I'm going to stand by it. Hitler was a fucking dickhead. I love historian Chris Hewitt. It's amazing. I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. The Nazis were bad. There, I said it. They were bad. I said it. They were bad. I've looked it up. They were bad. And Hitler was a fucking dickhead. Anyway, so Hitler was being all dickheady, and Neville Chamberlain was like, Oi, Hitler, stop being a dickhead. And so other so were other people. And then Hitler was like, Yeah, of course, I'm gonna go to war. And then Neville Chamberlain was like, Don't go to war. And then Hitler was like, Don't worry, come to Munich, we'll do a conference, and I promise you I won't go to war. Ha, lols, have my fingers crossed. But um, it was an important conference in stemming the flow of Hitler being a dickhead in 1938 <laughs> until 1939, when, of course, he was a mega dickhead and World War II began. I think I pretty much nailed it, right? I think that's it. That's it. Sure. I mean, I feel like the word appeasement could have been in there somewhere, but otherwise, I think it was super good. You really right. enjoyed it. <laughs> If you want to hear the word appeaser, you'll listen to the interview where I said it with George Mackay. Amazing. But I'm not saying it here because I'm in Hitler was a dickhead no. mode. Anyway. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Hitler was a dickhead. Uh, George Mackay doesn't play Neville Chamberlain or Adolf Hitler in this. That would have been interesting. Or a dickhead, I'm guessing. <laughs> or, or indeed a dickhead. He doesn't play a dickhead. He plays a, a man who is an assistant to Neville Chamberlain uh, and he and an old friend of his who is a German officer as well. They're on both sides, but both of them wanted to try and refer to the beginning of the Second World War. Perfectly natural, perfectly natural thing to do, but can they do it with all the forces of darkness marshalling against them? So it is a it is a taut spy thriller. Lots of men in suits looking very, very serious in rooms. I enjoyed it immensely. And George Mackay is excellent in it as well. And so we had a chat about that, uh, about Hitler being a dickhead, and about a great many things besides. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Munich, the edge of war, Mr. George Mackay. How are you, sir? I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm in I'm in London. I'm in uh, I'm actually in a hotel in London um, uh, for for the for the days you know talking about Munich. But uh, yeah, in, yeah, in hometown. This is this is can't be your first junket hotel pandemic experience, right? This is no, no. I've, okay. I've, yeah, I've done, done it before, but it's um, uh, well, it's always nice. I, I, I quite I quite like you know like press really. You know, talking talking about the film, especially you know when you're passionate about. It, I actually really. You know, really enjoy it. I know it's kind of maybe people say, "Oh, it's you know, it's the tricky bit and stuff." But I, th I think it's really lovely to to discuss it. Would get yeah. different people's opinions on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some actors say this is the moment where I get paid. The acting <laughs> is the fun stuff. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see what you mean. This yes. is the stuff where I get paid. This is where I make my money. This is, you know, I, I guess sometimes for some people, this is where the acting comes in. Uh, you could be I acting. Guess so. You might you might be bullshitting me right now. I, I wouldn't know because well, you're an I, actor. I could actually be like a sort of, of, you know, I could be a French actor that will like one day release a documentary that about how he became an English actor for, you know, <laughs> 25 years or something. And then, you know, I do a full kind of Joaquin Phoenix like that sort of, what was that real? Was that not kind of thing? Oh my God. Um, That'd be amazing. So, so I could be talking to George McKay uh, George right Mac- now. Yeah, that, I mean, it, it could it could well be, and this this will definitely make it into the final cut if that's the case, <laughs> because this is the point where he got so ballsy that he actually said who he really was in a thing before revealing it ten years down the line. This is getting very meta. <laughs> it is getting very meta. It is getting very meta. But I think I've got to the heart of the whole thing. Uh, if right. I'm if I'm honest with you, but uh, but yes, let's talk. Let's discuss. Let's let's do the thing. Uh, let's yes, discuss right. Munich, the edge of war. Uh, the the addition of that subtitle, of course, is to yes. differentiate itself from the the Spielberg movie. This is not connected yeah. to the Spielberg movie. It's not a prequel. No. It's not a sequel. You don't have to watch them. Although. In a weird way, they're both about people racing to avert disaster. And mm. in a strange way, of course, you know, on the back of 1917 as well, I was struck that this could be part of a series of George Mackay trying to avert catastrophe movies. Uh, is that something that you are naturally drawn to? <laughs> trying to avert catastrophe. I mean, it's not a bad thing to be drawn to in general. It feels like a kind of, you know, it's quite a safe way to go um, in, in life <laughs> to avoid catastrophes. Better but, to refer no, to I, cause. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I, t- I tell you what it was, it's kind of like, I, t- I thought Ben Powers' script was just brilliant. And I, and it's, it's, of course, you know, I've been lucky enough to do projects that have been a, uh, on the subject of, of both world wars. Yeah. Um, and so, but this is kind of looking at it in a in a different way. But what I what I what I found is when I, when I read the script, it was um it kind of, it came at that the, the, the summer two years ago where there was so much kind of socially and politically in the world that we were all kind of reevaluating really like kind of more it feels like more in a way that we more so than we have done in a in a long long time or at least kind of as collectively. Mm. And this film is sort of about as you say it's sort of averting a disaster that in hindsight we know what that was yeah and there was so and, and and it was kind of i think at that point where over that summer particularly i remember kind of thinking like well there's all these changes that i want to make that i feel we need to make that i want to be part of but how's the best way to go about it is it is it kind of personal activism is it your day-to-day choices mm-hmm. is it legislation and or you know what which one which one has the most power? Is it an amalgamation of all? And and this story, because it you know uses the the sort of the hindsight of knowing what happened when, you know, the Second World War did break out and who Hitler, you know, everything that he did. It's something using such a kind of strong example of hindsight. I I thought it it explored that really humanely because mm. because all the characters are quite fallible and there is a lot of compromise involved as well. It's 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 sort of heroic and unheroic and. And it's a kind of imperfect discussion because you've got these two characters that one one sort of, I guess, broadly flies the flag of kind of, I'll do it myself. I'll do it with activism and action uh, in a very real physical sense. And someone else who's going, no, I believe in a system and using that system to work the changes that needs to happen, but it needs to be done officially. Otherwise it doesn't hold water. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, that, that as a story um, was something I thought was really worth exploring. Yeah, it's about it's about personal responsibility in the face of this overwhelming force. It's about 
how far mm. you're prepared to go for what you personal, believe personal in as responsibility well. within systematic responsibility yeah. as well i think and and therefore understanding you know that 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 people you know the, the people who kind of build systems or are the leaders of systems are are people too and uh, and for and that kind of gets that kind of gets lost i think i think some of the time um so uh, so yeah that was that was what drew me to it so did you did you know much about this? I mean, I I I didn't. I you know I've 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 read a lot about World War Two over the years, and I've seen obviously a lot of World War Two movies, but things like this, movies like this, to shine a light on events that I didn't know anything about. I didn't really know anything about the, the Munich Conference. I did, you know, Chamberlain in history has been painted as the appeaser. He's been painted as the weak prime minister who acquiesced and, and gave the way, you know, paved way for, for Hitler to do what obviously eventually would go on to happen. And this movie says that wasn't quite the case. And it shines a light on something that, that I don't think many people know anything about, despite of course, the Robert Harris book. Yes. Was it something that you knew something about? And, and do you see things like this in 1917 as opportunities to, to, learn more and to discover more about about that, that those periods yeah definitely I, I to be honest i didn't know much about it at all i, I wasn't aware of of the munich conference um mm. i wasn't even that aware it wasn't so, really until kind of doing um well I, I did a film called where hands touch years ago where actually i played a, a young man who was in the hitler youth and in trying to kind of go well how do you even begin to understand that mindset kind of going into the context that that sort of movement was born out of then then that coupled with the research that kind of came with the you know looking at the first world war and and the kind of the way that germany was made to take responsibility for a lot of the the death basically um within yeah. the treaty of versailles and kind of just understanding uh, the sort of three-dimensional narrative of of history um I, I was I was drawn to this because yeah I didn't I didn't know much about it and I what I did know sort of then in researching it was that Chamberlain has been kind of you know referenced and 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 known to be as you say this kind of weaker a weaker man and I I, I also then I, I I kind of feel like in life so often like if you were to if you're in a if you're in a bar and someone starts a fight sometimes the best thing is to walk away but then again like and and sort of but then throughout history that is you know in stories that is so unheroic and a bad example and i just think all of that way that again with press with you know the way that news is becoming about like what is what is kind of the truth of this what is a spin on something where everything where we're sort of reevaluating what truth well what is truth and all that without sounding way too kind of philosophical <laughs> like that sort of but that's that kind of thing about going oh just looking at someone from a different lens whether this lens is correct it's just another interpretation and um, but i think what that interpretation offers is a sort of kind of a, a, a change in perspective that maybe reverberates beyond this sort of one sort of moment in history but sorry to go back to your original mm. question simply i didn't know much about it and it was <laughs> very interesting to to know especially because you know european politics at the minute has changed so much recently kind of to to look at the building of of that of, is 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 really interesting as we're kind of looking at the dismantling of it at the minute it, it feels incredibly timely uh, as well it's it's about the past but obviously it's about the present uh, also uh and I, what- I think as well that's the thing of sorry not just jumping on a kind of, of course purely kind of like political bandwagon, but like when we were filming, it was the the Trump Biden election. And then that thing of without mm. Sanon, you know, overzealous, it's that thing of kind of in the story, they're looking at Hitler who has, 
who has behaved like a bigot, who has pretty hardline politics, but has not yet, the Holocaust hasn't happened. And they're sort of discussing someone going, what if this continued? What if this went further? Where could this go? And that's not enough evidence to take him out because then we become him. And, all, and mm -hmm. it sort of felt equivalent as to like, well, what if Trump got in again? And what if that could happen? How serious, how overzealous are we being or how irresponsible are we being if we don't? And just those questions, I, I don't have an answer for, but it felt like this story was uh, yeah, really equivalent to a lot of those questions that you, know, you could at least explore through this, this, this story. Yeah. I mean, they don't have the benefit of hindsight, obviously. Back, back yeah. in 1938, they don't know what Hitler is going to become. Uh, even no. you know, There are scenes in this, of course, where your character, Hugh, and where Neville Chamberlain are in the room with Hitler. And it's clear mm. that he's a, a couple of sausages short of a pie, um, which mm. is, I don't think it's a phrase, but it is now. And <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I just want to know what it's like being in the room with someone playing Hitler. And that must, in a weird way, have a strange uncanny power still, even though you know it's an actor. Yeah, I, I, th I think the the symbolism that 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 comes with Hitler and you know and with that regime is still so potent, is still so strong. So it, yeah, it does feel very very unsettling because it, you know, the atrocities were. I can't, I can't put it you know into words like, and therefore even the echo of that has, has a weight and has a power. So yeah, certainly you feel, I mean, I, I can't really sort of sum up the feeling, but it, it definitely, yeah, it definitely still, still reverberates for sure. And because, um, obviously Christian is a German director, mm. it's, uh, you shot in the building where the Munich conference took place and you shot a lot yeah. in Germany as well. Yeah. Uh, I know from from reading interviews with with Christian and with the producer Andrew Eaton that that is a big thing. Obviously, Germany's mm. relationship with the war and with its history is is complicated, and you know, and yeah, they're obviously they put it behind them as much as they possibly can. But there's still there's still something about shooting a World War II movie in Germany. Swastikas mm. aren't allowed to be displayed publicly, yep. for example, that sort of thing. So it must have been. A, a, a profound experience, I guess, shooting there. Yeah, yeah, and also just so so full of learning because you kind of realise again, like the the history that we're taught in schools is, you know, is it's kind of it's it's the it's the British interpretation, you yeah, know? and it's it's um, you know, and it makes you think about about all history, <laughs> like if it's a sort of interpretation of those who, you know, kind of who who wrote the books. Well, history is written by the winners, is yeah, and. Yeah. and 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 therefore, just to kind of get the context as to like as to this, you know, the the, the intricacy, the nuance, and the complexities of you know of dealing with that history, um, of, is of course was within playing that history as well. And so it just kind of it just made the whole thing much more. It opened it up in a way that I I could never have known, you know, without without doing it in Germany and and with German creators and collaborators. And George, I want to go back. Uh, a little bit to that period for yourself where the pandemic is kicking in and the pandemic mm. kicks in right at the end of 1917's release schedule and all the Oscar campaign and everything. The Literally the last Q&A I did in the flesh before the pandemic happened was with Sam Mendes wow. for, for 1917. And then the pandemic wow. happened. And yeah. obviously you were in a very, very <laughs> different position. You were in a position where 1917 was doing incredibly, incredibly well, you know, getting Oscar nominations left, right and centre. 
doing incredible box office, and then suddenly the pandemic hits. And what what did that mean to you? Did that did that mean that you were suddenly in your flat, stewing in your own juices creatively? What did it mean to you at that at that point in terms of the path you were going to take next? Creatively, I mean, uh, I was. I, it was. It, I, I, I think that the, the pandemic was such a massive global social happening that you know every everyone was sort of you know everyone's experience was was their own uh, within it. I think creatively, to be honest, I I kind of had a, a stab at a lot of things which I've wanted to to kind of make time for and, and hope to make time for in the future in terms of like writing and putting down other ideas and figuring things out. I've kind of gone right. Well, if we're all going to sit tight for a wee while. I want to use this because my usual um, excuse has been I haven't had time to, you know, to to do it. So I kind of I kind of just at least had a go and continue to have a go at a couple of things which which I've which I hadn't had the time to before um, in terms of a bit of writing. Um, and then otherwise, it was blessed to just still be reading scripts because we didn't know when it kind of felt like, okay, this will be 10 weeks away. And then it sort of was obviously, it's still, still ongoing. So I was, I was reading a lot and, uh, and just before actually, um, uh, just before the pandemic hit, I'd, um, uh, I, I'd, I'd signed up to do this film Wolf, which, mm-hmm. which we made, it was the first film actually before we made before Munich, um, as soon as the first lockdown lifted in Ireland and it's coming out in the UK in March. Um, and, the 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 concept for that is it's about uh, a man who is who is a wolf trapped in a man's body, and there and we'd managed to get one week's rehearsal um, with the movement director director Terry Notary and the director um, Natalie Bianchieri um, in Ireland, and then there was going to be a two week gap, and then we were going to begin, and in that two weeks the pandemic hit, so I had a lot of physical homework to do in terms of because this because there's elements of the, the the film when you see this man in his kind of wolf state, but it was always said that he never grows hair. He never, you know, he never doesn't sprout claws or his ears don't extend or anything. So there, I had, a, I was really lucky to have a project that actually really benefited from time because it was such yeah. a complex character and the possibility of it um, really opened up with time. And so I kind of was lucky to be, a number of things. I, 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 I had a go at a bunch of um, projects that I'd, I'd like to, I hadn't had time to do before and what I'd like to keep developing for myself. Um, then reading lots uh, because of the blessed position of 1917 just coming out. And then, um, and then having this project with Natalie Wolf mm. and Natalie and I kept a creative conversation. You know, we would write diary entries back and forth for the character and speak on the phone about, it just gave him a much more detailed backstory than we'd ever have time for before. And then there was also physically a lot of crawling practice as well, <laughs> you know, get, get learning to crawl was, was difficult. So there was, there was that as well. So I just, I think I always have to be occupied really. Um, and, and also again, the benefit of hindsight, if we had have known this is a year where things will stop, but at the minute we kind of always thought we were three weeks away from getting back to work. So it yeah. kind of like, I just kind of kept going to thought, right, well, I'll buy this three weeks and then oh, that's turned into another three weeks and, oh, and it kind of kept on going. So, um, yeah, that was, it was a couple of things over that time. Amazing. Well, when Wolf comes out, you know, you're always welcome back in the podcast, obviously to, to talk about it. it uh, ah, it's going to be a, a fascinating conversation. Uh, and, but I've got to let you go, but, but George, what's next? Are you running towards catastrophe once again? Are you in the market for more, a, a catastrophe version scripts? Should people throw them your way? I guess- 
I guess, I guess sort of my, the, the last character I played is sort of potentially trying to stop a catastrophe and, you know, perhaps accelerates it this time. Um, <laughs> is, uh, so Wolf is the next thing to come out. Um, and actually, no, I've, I've, I'm really excited. I did a, um, uh, a project with the director Baba Kanvari uh, oh, yes. um, this summer, um, who did Under the Shadow, and yeah. um, it's a film called I Came By about this um, these two graffiti artists in London who were kind of trying to make their mark uh, on uh, on society by by um, by writing on people or rich people or people of influence's houses that they kind of disagree with that this specific tag, and basically they pick the wrong house and things unfold, um, and it's a it's just a brilliant script. I like Babak's Babak um, is so brilliant as a director. Um, that's the next thing to come out. And then I've just finished working on a Shane Meadows TV series as well um, called the gallows pole. So yeah. Amazing. Those two. Lots of stuff coming up in the future. I cannot wait to see it. And uh, it, once again, it's been a pleasure talking to you. The, the acclaimed French actor, Georges Mackay. <laughs> Merci. Merci. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs> Cheers, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay, so that was George Mackay and Munich, The Edge of War is going to be out next week on Netflix and we will be reviewing it on next week's show because we're going to be reviewing other films right now, other films that are out in your multiplex and on your sofaplex this weekend. There are two biggies, I would say. But let's start with Scream, which is confusingly the sequel to Scream. Hell's Bells. Yeah, so uh, this is... We're back in Woodsboro, of course. Uh, a young teenager called Tara, played by Jenna Ortega, is uh, is is attacked by Ghostface. This is bad news. So her sister Sam. <laughs> Ghostface is a dickhead. Ghostface like, uh, also a dickhead. That's right. We're also not afraid. A dickhead. We're not afraid to take these controversial positions. No. Um, her sister Sam, who's played by Melissa Barrera, who you may remember from In the Heights, uh, comes back to town on hearing about her sister's uh, attack, uh, bringing with her her boyfriend Richie, who's played by Jack Quaid, and they are trying to figure out what's going on. Why is Ghostface back? What does Ghostface want? And how does it connect to the murders of the past? Because, of course, we also have the return of uh, Dewey, David Arquette, of Gale, um, Courtney Cox, and, of course, of Sidney Prescott, played by Neve Campbell. So... Um, What's going on? And basically, the whole thing is a big commentary on on sequels, on reboots, on remakes, on rebootquels, on you know um, what what's the phrase they used? Um, Requel is in a, is is a word that's used in the film, but they don't requel, talk about yeah. seaboot. No, but they do use a uh, scream make and shriekquel, which I appreciated. I appreciated that. Yeah, I enjoyed that. As a fan of wordplay, I was like, yes, that's good. <laughs> Um, so uh, it is very, once again, very knowing, very self-aware. I find it well-written. I really appreciated the sharpness of it. I thought it was clever that way. I could have done with maybe like a couple more scenes with the friend group because, of course, Tara has a friend group. And, of course, you know, your suspicions immediately turn to them because, you know, you've got to look at the friend group. Um, you also have to look at the love interest. Love interests are always bad news in a Scream film. You also, you know, after all they've been through, maybe we should be looking at the original three. Maybe we have to be wary of them as well. Who knows? If you ask me, I think it's the person wearing the black cloak and the ghost face mask with Wait, the big knife. What? I think I think they're the ones who did it. Well, maybe. But look, I had I had an absolute blast. It's very, very uh, bloody, as you would expect. It's actually an 18. It is. It's an 18. Which, 
Yeah. It's 18, which is which I, I, I feel like it could have almost been a 15, but OK. Yeah. And, and I just thought it was sharp and, and clever and, and, you know, a worthy successor to the name, which I do not say lightly. Yeah. I mean, I've ranked my screen movies already. So as you know, I went two, one, four, three, five. No, I didn't. I went two, one, four, five, three. Three's bad. I think three is the only bad yeah. movie in the Scream franchise. Uh, Scream four, I think, is really underrated, um, and it uh, has a fantastic last twenty minutes. Mm. Uh, and this, you know, I, I've seen some people absolutely going nuts about it and saying it's the best one since uh, Scream two, and it's up there with Scream two. It's not quite up there with Scream two for me. There are things that I, uh, you know, I things I really enjoyed about it. It's directed by Matt Bettinelli, Olpin, and Tyler Gillette, who are the two of the members of the collective called Radio Silence, and they're the directors of Ready or Not, yes. uh, which came out a couple of years ago, and I loved Ready or Not. I think it's terrific, uh, and this is in the same camp because mm. you're mixing, you're mixing sort of campy, referential, knowing meta comedy horror with actual genuine shocks and thrills and really good suspense sequences and it is very meta uh it is laid overlaid on the bones of the original scream in lots of ways uh that i can't even begin to get into um but you know their handling of this is the first scream movie that's not directed by wes craven uh who of course you know is no longer with us and uh, you know, I think they did a good job. I think mm. they did a good job, but I do have some issues that I can't really get into here on uh, on a non spoiler review. Uh, but you know, you know, there's a very interesting blend of new characters and legacy characters. So Gail and Dewey and Sydney Prescott, basically the only three characters that you could have <laughs> knocking around still from a, from a screen movie. Uh, oh, oh, there's, 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 yeah, there's yeah, from yeah. Screen Four. There's a couple. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, there's a couple. couple. Uh, so you know, and I think the balance in Scream Four was mainly focused on the legacy characters with the new characters bringing up the rear. Here it's flipped a little bit, so the new characters take up the brunt of the the plot and take up the brunt of the story, and then you have the emotion the the emotional ballast is provided by. I think the introduction of the of the new characters. There's a lot of weirdly enough. There's a lot of things like the Force Awakens and Last Jedi. You may have heard that this is a movie that very much stands up for the Last Jedi in many mm. many surprising ways. <laughs> uh, and you know, there's an awful lot of the DNA of those movies in this movie as well. I would say. So there's a lot to talk about. Did it succeed for me as a, as a horror film? Yeah, decent sequences, good suspense, lots of gore. Uh, I liked a lot of the new characters. Didn't like that new ghost face. <laughs> real dickhead. Uh, wow. Wow. Really <laughs> sticking it to the man today, Chris. Wow. Real dickhead. Uh, and I thought it was very effective, if maybe a little bit too long. I think the souffle perhaps deflates a little bit in the third act. But, uh, but I also know that Helen, Ben, uh, Nick... Everybody from Amon, everyone who's there. Uh, by the way, Amon isn't as fun to watch a horror movie with as I thought he would be. <laughs> you were hoping for more jump scares for I was him, hoping for you? more jumps. Yeah. I was hoping for more shrieking, quite frankly. I was hoping for more popcorn flying in my general mm. direction. There was and quite a lot of, of tutting anytime anybody did something obviously yes. dangerous. Like he, he talked was, back he to was the screen. having none of that. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but otherwise, no, he wasn't a lot of fun to watch a horror movie with. So he needs to up his game in that department, I would have to say. Uh, but Scream does need to up its game. Uh, it's not quite as good as Scream, but it'll do. Four stars then for Scream. Never mind Ghostface. 
Macbeth is back. He's back for more. <laughs> Segway. I mean, both could say, is this a dagger I see before me? That's true. Right? Both have the handle turned towards their hand, yep. <laughs> both have to wash off blood in a hurry. Both have to wash off blood? Out damn spot? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Should, should Scream be called The Tragedy of Ghostface? Uh, I would I'm 100% no. watch a Scream film performed in iambic pentameter. Like, definitely. <laughs> That would be amazing. That's not what we're getting with Scream, but it is what we're getting with The Tragedy of Macbeth, which marks Joel Cohen's first solo directorial movie, which is really interesting because even though all the early Coen Brothers movies are attributed to him as director, they were all co-directed with Ethan Cohen. It was just DGA rules Mm -hmm. that prevented them being credited in such a way. Uh, But then after The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Joel Cohen turned to his brother, Ethan, and said, you know what? I think I'm going to do the next one, maybe even two, on my own. And so what he's done is not Cohen-esque. What's the rumpus? The rumpus is that he has adapted Shakespeare in black and white. It's the tragedy of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Mrs. Cohen, Francis McDormand, Jimbo. Yeah, this is the Scottish film. Uh, The famous (laughs) Scottish play, as written, of course, as we all know, by Edward de Vere, the 17th Earl of Oxford. Don't even uh, start with me. Get out! Get out! (laughs) Uh, And as you say, this stars uh, Denzel Washington as... As the, the, the Scottish Lord Macbeth, so who is visited in the night by a trio of three witches uh, who tell him he may be the next King of Scotland. Not the last King of Scotland, of course, but the next King of Scotland. Uh, and his wife, played by Francis McDormand here, Lady Macbeth, supports him in his plan to seize power. So, I mean, look. I, I, I cannot claim to be the Shakespeare expert Helen has, where she has literally watched every single one of his plays performed. She's clearly better qualified than me to talk about this. But I've seen Macbeth on stage once, and it was in German. I shit you not. I watched German <laughs> Macbeth. Not Klingon. Really? Oh, it wasn't no. in Klingon or Belter or anything like that. I watched it in German live How on did stage. you watch Macbeth in German? It was a field trip when I was doing German A-level. They uh, Before I literally quit German A-level, they took me to see Macbeth on stage in German. Didn't understand a fucking word of it, obviously. Well, clearly your A-level was not going well. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think it was even Shakespearean German. I don't really understand. But also it was like a neon sort of postmodern punk take on Macbeth in German. Wow. Uh, and I remember at one point, one of the witches takes a piss in a bucket, which takes us back to Francis McDormand, oh, who God. plays <laughs> Lady Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I've got to do, a, I've got to do a, when we're doing a live show we tend to do a Empire podcast bingo card and I'm afraid shit the in bucket, a bucket yeah, is gonna absolutely going to be on, that. Gonna be on, on that bingo card yeah, uh, before you get into it I also had a very strange experience watching Macbeth uh, performed as a play mm-hmm. my wife and I went to see it a few years ago in a venue in Victoria and the, and the conceit was the gimmick was it was performed entirely in the dark and oh. so you couldn't see anything. So the idea was that you you would be focused on the language. All I was focused on was <laughs> trying not to trip the actors up because you they, they were performing around you, so you could sense them. And every now and again, you know, I was just worried in case someone was like running and then tripping over my bag or my legs or something. Uh, and then every now and again, they would bring their own lighting in, whether it was a, the glow of a mobile phone or a candle or something like that. So the the out damn spot 
monologue was performed by by Lady Macbeth, lit in a very eerie way, and then people would pop up behind you, like they'd be witches, and you'd go, Jesus fucking Christ! Uh, so it, I, I hated it. But <laughs> why, why do you both do Macbeth wrong? What are you doing with your lives? Oh my God! Oh. I will say though, in terms of Macbeth stories. This is, and possibly to my shame, but I don't think so, this is the first time I've seen Macbeth performed by an actor who is not also an X-Man or Magneto. (laughs) 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 Because I've seen it on film, but I saw it on film with, um, with... Ian McKellen yep. from like way back in the day, the RSC yep. version. I yes. then saw the Michael Fassbender version. And then on stage, I've seen it with Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy. <laughs> no way. I'm not kidding. That's so amazing. I have only seen Professor X and Magneto do Macbeth prior to this. So what I'm saying is Denzel Washington, Professor X confirmed? Yes. I think he'd be a great choice. Wouldn't he'd he be, great? be a great choice. He'd be a better Although Magneto. he's so... In, you know, he's just so powerful as a presence that he wouldn't need the rest of the X-Men. Exactly. So it'd be brilliant. You can save <laughs> yeah. money. Anyway, but um, yes, can I just say something for a minute? This is great. I think you should. Um, I think you yeah. should. Since you are the Shakespeare expert here, I think we should hear what you have to say about this. <laughs> I, I really like this. I think it is an adaptation. It does feel quick. It's, it's by Shakespeare standards, quite a quick play anyway. It's one of his shortest plays. I think it's the shortest of the tragedies, although I'd have to check that. Um Hang on, let me just check Edward De Vere's Wikipedia page and find don't out. Don't you even, like, this is, you don't understand how much that offends me on a visceral it? Oh, God, level. Hang on, oh, we've just, Mark Rylance is calling in. He's got oh, some boy. opinions. This. Yeah, him, him and Jacoby can just, oh. Okay, um, this is, weirdly, James was almost right. It isn't German, but it is kind of German expressionism here. Wow, that may be the most patronising thing we've ever heard. That is like 101, condescension. Did you actually listen to what I then said, though? You said James is almost right. Yeah, in going to see it in German, because this yeah. is pre- this it's, is designed mm, to be like German expressionistic. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Like the right. design of it. I wasn't saying yeah. like James is almost right in saying Macbeth is quite good, because like it's quite good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, and so the design is really striking, really paired back, really black, white, and nothing in between. Just just vast empty spaces, and then these dark figures in the middle of the frame. The reason I said that it's witch or witches, and is it three witches or not? Is it's not clear. So Catherine Hunter mm. plays all the witches. She's kind of um, she has an amazing ability to contort her body. She's got an extraordinary voice. She's one of the most memorable witches you will ever see in your life. She's astonishing. Of course, like Denzel Washington and, you know, Frances McDormand are good. Yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> we're not even going to spend time on that. Yes, obviously they're good. But it's just, it's, it's, I thought it was a really pacey, you know, fierce interpretation of the play. It didn't mess about. It felt like it was an, you know, Orson Welles doing this, uh, you know, at the age of 25, trying to impress the world. It didn't feel like the work of very, very well established people who do not need to do anything. You don't need to try harder. This felt like people really kind of going for it and really kind of experimenting and trying something different. And I just loved it. But then, like, Mm. it's me, right? So I'm in the bag for the Coens. I'm in the bag for Shakespeare. Like, what was I going to do? Not like it? Come on. I mean, it is beautiful, though, isn't it? Shot Mm. in black and white, shot in 4-3. It's it's Mm. quite almost like aggressive in the way Mm. it's like, like it assaults you with every scene. And it has a slightly... 
you know, almost not quite surreal, but certainly disconcerting yeah, yeah. feel to it. Like it made me feel very discomforted all the way through, which obviously is the objective. But it's it's a very powerful adaptation. I'm not. I say, oh, it's a very powerful adaptation from all no, the but many it is. adaptations. Hundred percent. Look, 100%. my review of this: it was Macbeth. It was in English. That's a fucking start for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understood significantly more of this one than I did of the only other time I've seen it, where it was in German. So yes, well done for not doing it in German. Thanks. People sometimes accuse us of dumbing down. I refute that. <laughs> Yeah. It was in English. Five stars. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, there's not much to add to that, apart from this is uh, De Vere's greatest play yet. I'm only oh kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> I think he wrote most of his plays. Uh, oh he just he just had someone help. He, he, yeah, he just had someone helping out, like a, like a clerk, like an admin. He did assistant. collaborate with somebody at the end of his career, and you could tell because those ones are a bit shit. <laughs> Um, like genuinely, I'm not kidding. So just it's, 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 it's a Shakespeare with Andrew Child, and it was <laughs> <laughs> Hamlet said nothing. <laughs> what I like about this because Macbeth has hands the size of supermarket turkeys, and uh... <laughs> oh, I tell you, King Lear's scything elbow is not to be fucked oh, with. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. Why? So yes, I liked this. It was good. <laughs> That what we just did was a fifteen-minute review. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I think that I think that was a review. I think that off? was a review. Was well uh, I enjoyed the fact that uh, there's literally one Scottish accent in this entire production. <laughs> yeah, they made no effort there. Uh, and I, I think that's a good thing, uh, to be honest, because if sometimes you can burden an actor with an accent, and then all they're thinking about is the accent, especially when you have to deal with iambic pentameter, uh, the worst X Men villain, and. <laughs> And then you have to like do a performance on top of that. We're getting into the weeds now of we this, is, this is real theory. <laughs> no, but do I, a performance. I, I do think it's it's you know it's something I hadn't particularly thought about beforehand, which is the fact that you know I haven't I don't get to go to Broadway and see a lot of shows there often. Of course, I <laughs> did see Hamilton anyway. on Broadway. Yeah, but um, but I I don't often get to go and see plays on Broadway. So I have never seen any of um of. Denzel Washington's work on stage. Mm -hmm. And so apart from something like Fences a couple of years ago, I haven't really seen him do plays yes, or anything yes. based on a play. And so it was really fascinating for me to get the chance to see him do Shakespeare, which he's obviously like, you know, studied since he was back in, was it Juilliard? You know, he knows, mm -hmm. he knows these mm -hmm. plays, he knows this language, he knows the rhythms. And, um, and that was fascinating for me. So that was a real treat. Mm -hmm. He's really, really good. Uh, He's really, act, really good. Yeah. One of the greatest actors of all time. He's really, really good. Uh, fantastic cast uh, throughout. Brandon Gleeson, as we said. Mm. Uh, Ralph Innocent. Um, Bertie yeah. Carvel as well, isn't it? Bertie um, And I have to say, I know we didn't really talk too much about the the SAG snubs and whatnot, but uh, Catherine Hunter is terrific as the one witch, two witches, three witches, using her body and her voice mm. in mm. extraordinary ways. Uh, and freaky. for me, she should have been on some sort of supporting actress nominations list. Yeah, me too. It is uh, really terrific. I enjoyed this Macbeth because I could see what was going on and I didn't have to worry about tripping Denzel Washington up. Can you imagine <laughs> such a thing? The last thing he did in Broadway was The Iceman Cometh, which is exactly Ooh. what he would say if he played Professor X. <laughs> so it's all... <laughs> it's all connected. And I don't mean in a sex way. I don't mean in a oh, sex boy. way. Oh, God.
five stars. We gave this five stars. Or Helen gave this five it stars. Was me. Uh, the check from the Bank of Shakespeare cleared, <laughs> and she gave this five stars. It is available on Apple Apple Plus. That's what they call it, isn't it? Apple TV. What do they call it? <laughs> on the apples. It's on the apples. On the apples. Yeah. I think it's still in some cinemas as well, limited around the country. And a film you can see this week on Mubi is the new film from Andrea Arnold. And this is another bit of a left field departure. One of our greatest filmmakers, of course. She has made a documentary called Cow. She but has. what's it about? Well, this is an interesting <laughs> drama about a single mother who has her child taken away from her by social services, eventually reunited, falls in love, and then it has a rather tragic ending. Unfortunately, the person who stars at the heart of this is a Frisian cow called Luma. Um, this, this is an interesting film. So this is a 90-minute film, a 90-minute documentary about a cow, specifically Luma, the Frisian cow. And it follows Luma through, she starts off giving birth to, I don't know if it's her first calf or she's giving birth to a calf, being separated from the calf, like being milked. It's literally just like almost like a mood piece about this cow, a mood piece, a if mood you will. A mood piece. Uh, <laughs> and, but genuinely, so it's, it's dialogue lie. All you essentially get is moo. <laughs> That's the main word from this. And the occasional bit of like the farmers talking to the cows. And there's a lot of diegetic music because it turns out farmers play a lot of pop music to cows, uh, which is quite weird. But I like as soon as it starts, I was like, fuck me there's 90 odd minutes of this cow wandering around and yeah <laughs> and yeah it's genuinely it's really hypnotic yeah. and just seeing the world from this cow's point of view like i i was I was sort of slowly drawn into this and it's beautifully shot as you'd imagine from Adriano but there's a scene in this where uh, she's introduced that a bull is introduced to her pen and there's sort of like there's a sort of like a love song playing and there are fireworks in the background and when the bull like goes in to do his business the camera kind of pans up to the fireworks like it's beautifully shot so you've got this wonderful sort of almost human drama about a non-human but the thing about this is and I, and I, I haven't read an awful lot about Arnold's intention beyond the fact that she'd always wanted to make a documentary around an animal from an animal's, animal's perspective. I think she wanted to do a chicken at one point, but then settled on a cow. How they auditioned for Luma, I really couldn't tell you. But uh, it's like, it tries, I think the, the documentary tries to be non-judgmental. Like it's it's not, it doesn't feel to me like it has a specific agenda. Like it's like, be vegan. Do you know what? It doesn't feel like it's that. It's yeah. just trying to show you what this cow, this sort of ubiquitous animal, this animal that provides so much of what people eat in Western society, what its life is like. And so much so that I, re I recall reading, she, she showed this to the farmers afterwards. So it wasn't a takedown piece on them. She showed it to them and they were fine with it. And yet watching this, I was pretty horrified from beginning to end. I found it really m moving, if you will. <laughs> um, no, but I found it moving. They didn't milk it. No bullshit. Sorry, I'm stopping oh, now. Um, but look, it, look, it's it's it it genuinely is like there there are some really horrific moments in it. like something I didn't know, which is like they they essentially cauterize the horn buds of calves after. So this calf is born. It's just been born. It's relatively like it's hey hello world, and then they're stapling its ears like within minutes. It's like fuck me, and then they're getting this sort of like branding iron and like cauterizing its horn bud so it won't mm. grow horns because obviously farmers don't want cows with horns and i just like this is horrifying and just like the drudgery of luma's life just walking through these sort of steel being the indignity as well of the various things that that she's put through it just made me really really sad and i was really emotionally involved in this and i and like andrea arnold in this was like she's talked about saying you know she saw luma like she i see you luma like the whole thing was to show you luma's life. and you really do feel mm -hmm. you humanize you anthropomorphize this cow so much so that 
there are these lingering shots that the camera is almost always at Luma's head height so it does feel like you're looking through the cow's eyes and in many cases you're looking into the cow's eyes and there's a bit where this cow just stares at the camera and you start to feel what the different moves mean like there's the gentleman and then there's one where she's clearly anxious because she's missing her fucking calf and she's mooing anxiously and you can really feel the anxiety in this cow and yes there may be an element of projecting here but genuinely watching this film like i'm not a vegetarian i'm certainly not a vegan genuinely watching this film it made me think because i have like proper milk in my tea because i've long maintained that oat milk is not nice in tea it's made me think do you know what maybe i can fucking put up with tea that doesn't taste as nice if luma doesn't have to go through this shit so you know it, i genuinely think it's a really good thing to watch because we take this stuff for granted and i think seeing a cow's life I don't know. Like, I'm genuinely affected by it. It's fantastic. Yeah. It really is. It is. Yeah, it is real. You, it, the empathy is is strong, and it's also like, you know, in terms of how well it's shot, it's also quite extraordinarily kind of, I think, brave as well because she's really in there in the middle of it, mm. among all of these animals, and like, I'm not going to over do this, but like, cows do kill people every year, and vets do get kind of at least partly trampled and they get broken bones and stuff occasionally when cows decide to go wild, essentially. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was worried for the camera person <laughs> at several points in this documentary because just you're right in the middle of it all with the cow. Sometimes when they're upset and they are unsettled and they are moving around a lot, she's right there in the middle of it. So, you know, I was a bit worried at times. But you're, but you're right, just the empathy is is off the charts. Yeah, it really is. Just, but it's incredible to like, you, you just feel so much for Luma. And Genuinely, I, I, this this is a film which it's it's almost hard to describe. Like it's almost like giving the Attenborough treatment, but to the lowly cow instead mm. of like a majestic herd of gazelles. Except you don't even have the commentary. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like it's like a planet Earth, but it's planet cow. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. my description of it. Planet cow. All right. Sounds like a tasty treat. Oh no. Oh no. This is not, of course, a sequel to Kelly Reichardt's first cow, but it might be a good little double bill. Might second be cow. Very, very good. Yeah, second okay. cow. Yeah. So uh, we haven't got an official Empire review for this, mm. but it sounds like uh, James uh, and Helen are in the four-star camp. Yes. Yeah. Watch, am, it, yeah. watch yeah. it as a marathon with pig and lamb. <laughs> One last film to talk about this week. I mentioned earlier on Uncle Boomy, who can recall his past lives. And that wasn't by accident, folks. We don't make this podcast up as we go along. That's <laughs> not true. We mainly we do, do that. We do. But yeah. I did know that the new film from the director of that movie, Apachat Pong, We're Ascetical, is out this week. It is called Memoria. It stars Tilda Swinton, Helen O'Hara. What do you remember about this movie? I remember a lot about this movie. I think I understand significantly less, but I was interested even when I had no clue what was going on. Um, uh, Tilda Swinton plays Jessica, who is a woman, um, a Scottish woman, who is in Colombia setting up a flower business. And she starts hearing a weird noise occasionally. Nobody else can hear it, but it's just there. And she kind of goes off and tries to investigate where this is coming from, like has herself examined by a doctor to make sure she's not going, you know, cuckoo. Um, doesn't appear to be going cuckoo. Doesn't appear to be any reason for it in, in her environment. Keeps hearing it goes to a sound engineer trying to get him to recreate the sound so she can at least feel like there's a tangibility to it. And then he mysteriously disappears as well. Mm. And then, and so she's just increasingly kind of unmoored as she tries to figure out what's real and what's not, what she can trust and what she can't, and what's actually going on and whether this sound is a real thing or not. 
and it goes on from there. This is very much a film of long takes of uh, scenes where you're not quite sure what's happening and why, um, of things that don't necessarily seem to follow from what you've just seen, but nevertheless do tell part of this overarching story. I still don't think I necessarily understand what's going on, but I was, like I say, <laughs> interested in the whole thing. I mean, there is a bit where it goes, it has been described as a sci-fi film in some quarters. There is a bit mm-hmm. that goes quite sci-fi, but I'm not sure why and what that means and how that ties into everything else. But I'm still thinking about it, which is a good sign. All right. Uh, again, the official Empire Review is not out for this one yet. So what would you give it? I guess, I mean, look, I'm somewhere in the high three, low four camp, but I, like I said, I was, I was interested and Tilda Swinton, I thought was on brilliant, brilliant form in this. I was just, I never when died she her ever for not? a second. Well, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, um, but I thought particularly, you know, by her, even by her standards, I thought she was really on form. So, so yes, I loved it for that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's somewhere up there. It is a recommendation, but I don't quite know. <laughs> why and if you go and see it and you totally understand it please do get in touch because i would like to hear more listen that's my default position i was much the same through scream i didn't understand what was happening <laughs> who any of those people were why they were talking to each other and why the the yeah, fella yeah, in the yeah. ghost face mask was killing all those people ah oh. anyway i think that's it i think that's I think it for it this is. week's Hurrah. podcast join us next week for more film Related fun will be joined by Jamie Dornan. Ooh. Jamie Dornan, star of Kenneth Branagh's Belfast. So he is. So is so he is, is he? Helen did that last year. She spoke to Jamie Dornan, so she so did. So he did. I'd he forgotten. Did. I hope I can. I hope I find it. I, I, I can't find it, but I'm sure <laughs> I'll find it. And if not, you probably still got a backup somewhere, so you do. And if you don't, then I'll go to the, the PR and say, here, I've lost a Jamie Dornan interview. You'll never guess. A funny story. <laughs> I had it and I lost it. And then they'll give it to me. Brilliant. So it'll all Brilliant work story. out. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to be joined by Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs, uh, because the amazing mass is out next week on Sky. And so we will be bringing you the interview that we did with Jason live on stage for our last live podcast. Um, not all of the Jason Isaacs interview. We'll cut out the bit where he very rudely denigrated the three-fact structure. Uh, but, <laughs> but the, the mass portion of that, my fault. he's a smart man. We will bring it to you. He is a very, very smart man. Uh, so Belfast and Mass are both out next week, as is Game of the Toro's Nightmare Alley, which we will be reviewing and is fantastic. So good week for the pictures. Yes, Good indeed. week for the pictures. But anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my two colleagues of such lethal cunning squad cast names. And now I understand why James Dyer is called Justice for Luma. Justice for Luma! It is goodbye from Ghost Facers, mm. Helen O'Hara. Exp- what I've done that. there is I've 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 combined the villain of Scream... Well, I haven't actually. I paid tribute to the villain from Scream, but also uh-huh. to uh, an episode of Supernatural. So, like, three people are really amused that I've gone by Ghost Facers this week. It's a good episode of Supernatural. I've seen that oh, one. They, oh, it's the good episode of Supernatural. I've a heard about good that episode. One. A good oh, it's, episode. Thank it's you very a good much. episode of Supernatural. Okay. Of yeah. which there are many. You monster. <laughs> Is that no? I'm not even going to do a nipples joke. Not going to do a nipples joke. Got a live show in three weeks, Chris. Save it for Lynn. Save Save the nipples. Save the nipples for Lynn. No Uh, nipples in that episode. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
Yeah, pretty sure. And it's goodbye from me, Sausage Work Event. Because <laughs> Sausage Party. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sausages. Justice for Luma. Wait, no, cows don't make sausages. No, they <laughs> I mean, do. You they can, do. You can. You can have beef sausages. But. You can have beef sausages. Oh, I'd love a beef sausage. I mean, no, Justice for Luma. <laughs> Justice for Luma. Oh, God. Quicker we get round to making Soylent Green, better for everybody. Is it but- That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, anyway, I'm off now to uh, hawk my new 10-part podcast, Hitler Was a Dickhead, uh, round to all the big networks. If anyone's interested, you know where to find me. Bidding starts at a hundred grand. Thanks for listening. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. He was though, he's a fucking dickhead.